Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back uh, to another episode of They Might Be Mariners, uh, your Mariners prospects-focused podcast. I'm your host, John Troopin, along with co-host Joe Doyle. Joe, how are you this morning? I'm doing okay. How are you doing, John? We're doing doing as well as we can in these times, of course. Um, So... We're we're very excited uh, today. We've we've got an expert on the phone taking some time uh, to talk with us about uh, their their view on the Mariners system, uh, on the MLB draft, and and sharing their expertise. Uh, we have Jonathan Mayo from uh, MLBPipeline.com, been covering uh, the MLB draft and prospects there for over two decades, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Oh uh, John, man, I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> is that yeah? How how are you doing? This has to be wow, a really I'm strange old. time for you, even I, with even with your extensive experience. There's probably not I, been too uh, much like this. It should be noted I started covering the draft when I was six. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. It is uh, yes, it is uh, it is definitely a strange time. Uh, you know, in in two ways. Obviously, we're all used to there being baseball on the non-draft side you know by now there'd be prospects out playing and we would be you know sort of getting a sense of how they started we'd be doing a bunch of stories about guys off to hot starts you know the normal rhythm of the season 
Uh, on the other side of things, uh, especially in terms of the draft, because there is still going to be a draft, I have days where, I, like, I forget. Like, it's just a normal day. Like, we're working on a draft list. We're preparing for the draft. We'll start putting out mock, you know, you know, mocks. I, I, I'm busy. You know, so much of what we do at MLB Pipeline is not beholden to the rhythms of a, of a normal season. Uh, so it's good. It's kind of easy to get lost in that sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, that that is... It's good to hear that you're you're at least able to have those those moments, um, you know, where where it's sort of it feels a little. You got those that bit of normalcy because there's really nothing normal feeling about about all of this. I mean, how how does this sort of change your uh, you know your day to day? Obviously, there's not really much baseball happening, uh, so you you know you can't be getting live looks. But you know what what is your day to day? Um, you know, working in terms of trying to get information, trying to get prepped for the draft, trying to get info on prospects. How does that manifest for you? Right. So I think like with everyone, it starts with me trying to decide if today's the day I'm just not going to get out of bed. Um, <laughs> no, in, Certainly. In, 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 right. In all, in all reality, you know, this of year, even during a regular season, we're not running around – going in and seeing players um you know jim callis and i you know for the draft and added mike rosenbaum when we talked about minor league prospects you know we're very much more in the camp of reporters and collectors of information and not in that camp of people who do this kind of thing who go out and evaluate players now when we see a guy in the fall league or spring training or pdp league for you know high schoolers in the draft whatever it is we know what we see, but it's not—it's uh, not like some other folks who do this sort of thing and and base it on their own eyeballing of players. So much of what I'm doing right now for the draft was the the same as what we were doing. Now we're not mm-hmm. getting updated reports uh, mm-hmm. because no one's out and seeing the players now. But I'm, we're talking to scouts about you know area scouts and cross checkers and scouting directors uh, about you know how they're stacking up the board and that's how we ended up putting together the draft to the 100 top 150 list that that just came out uh that'll be expanded to 200 it's kind of the same process that we've always gone through in a lot of ways so things are things are obviously a little bit different this year in that there's like you said there's not a lot of evaluation that's going on right now but if you look at the last 10 to 20 years um, how has your job changed? How, how has it become easier? Because we're in a day and age when not only is societal hype and exposure increasing exponentially, but I think within the within the industry, the value of prospects has grown to levels we haven't seen before. How has that kind of changed, or how have you tinkered the way that that you work with more eyes on what you're doing? Yeah, it's it's funny because I I started at MLB.com in April of 1999. Uh, my go-to joke is that I I created the internet with Al Gore, and <laughs> but uh, uh, so when I first got there, like I knew what the draft was, but no one was paying attention to it. It was a a conference call that they had just the year before, I think, for the first time, conference call online. And that 
did really, really well. And then, so I started doing some draft stories. You know, there was really back then, uh, nobody other than maybe like Baseball America was really providing coverage. Uh, and that's, you know, it's, it's grown since then, but uh, exponentially, uh, you know, explosion of the internet, um, more and more people going out and, and, and doing this. You know, I think it's all been good. I think, I think the biggest changes really are, are, are just the proliferation of people who are covering the draft and minor league prospects. Um, and I, I think it's been great for the game. Uh, there's so much more video out there. So if, you know, even casual fans can go and, and, and look at, you know, a video of a guy so that when they get to the big leagues for the first time, it's, he's not a complete unknown. Now, maybe they've only found him, but chances are they've probably seen him. Uh, you know, the Futures game, spring training, the Arizona Fall League has gotten so much more coverage. That's largely, you know, to pat ourselves on the back has been because of us. Um, every, every time I talk about the Fall League, I'm like, people really should go because it's such a great experience. But so I, there is much... These, these names of guys who were previously unknown are now much more known. And, and, and in terms of the draft, you know, it went on TV for the first time in 2007. We had two years on ESPN, and then we moved over to MLB Network when MLB Network started, started up. And it's still not the NFL draft or the NBA draft, obviously, because the amateur side of this sport is not as popular. Uh, I don't think that it's carried over to people like watching a ton more college baseball, um, although they can because now there are all these conference networks that cover, a, you know, that carry a lot of those games. The high school guys are tougher. You know, they're the All-American games and things like that. But by and large, at least the names, the top names are much more known even to the casual fan who may be curious, even if it's just to know who their, you know, their favorite team is going to take in the first round. You know, on a, on a total sidebar, what are your thoughts on, uh, I, I, let's call them internet scouts, you know, folks that come out of the woodwork and have, you know, these, these really loud opinions on players that maybe they haven't seen, but they've just seen comps. Like that's something that's obviously brand new to the industry, probably in the last five years. Um, is that something that maybe gets in the way of your job sometimes in, in, in the comments or in the questions, just people that maybe assume they know what they're talking about, but haven't had their eyes on, on the product? It, um, I wouldn't say it gets in the way. Uh, I have to be careful here, right? I, I can't bite the hand. That <laughs> you are talking to two <laughs> right, semi-internet yeah. scouts. So, so, <laughs> so I'm, 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 you know, tap dancing around the eggshells here uh, just a little bit. Listen, I, all of it, when taken in totality, is great. I think um, I think social media, I think particularly Twitter, as incredible a tool as it is, like with lots of things, you know, baseball related and not baseball related, it, it can be a terrible, terrible place. Um, I'm all <laughs> for people voicing their opinions. I like interacting with fans. Uh, I I feel like. The immediacy uh, of social media, particularly Twitter, uh, combined with people who feel that they definitively know something uh, is a bad combination. 
And when you add in the fact, with especially with the draft or evaluating players in general, it is such an inexact science that anyone right. who feels that mm-hmm. they know certainly anything, it, it just doesn't understand how, how any of it works. And it can be frustrating at times because, yes, there are people who feel just because they attended a minor league baseball game that they're suddenly an expert. And that's why I go out of my way, guys, to always tell people that I do not, I am not an evaluator. I, I, I you know, I didn't work uh, under the wing of somebody in a, you know, a, a longtime scout or a scouting director. Uh, you know, yes, I've seen enough baseball where I can recognize things. And that obviously impacts where we rank a guy, you know. Uh, I spent nine days covering or whatever it was covering the PDP league. Some of those high school guys stand out to me because I saw a lot of them. That's human nature. But I always tell people anytime I do any interviews about this kind of stuff that I rely on the people whose job it is to evaluate these guys. I'm not, I'm not signing a check seven figures for some high school player. So, you know, I'm not, and, and those who do, know how uncertain and inexact all of this is. So I think it's more the certainty of opinion that bother that that gets under my skin sometimes. Uh, and then the fact that, you know, people just have a general lack of respect for what you do. And I'm not just talking about myself. I think in 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 general, the the social the, the dialogue, quote unquote, that takes place on social media now um, speaks volumes about where we are as a as <laughs> But that's a whole different conversation, maybe for a different podcast. But I think it figures into how some of those uh, sort of armchair scouts go about uh, interacting with 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 people online. You know, as a kind of as a segue, I was talking to a a big league scout a couple of days ago, and he left me with a pretty uh, a quote that kind of struck me. He said, if you're if you're a big league scout and you've made it this far, you are understanding that you will never be right. You will never, ever be right. The, your job is to make a, an educated um, analysis on a player as to what that player could be. But I guarantee you what you think they will be, you will be wrong every single time. I thought, oh, that's, you know, that's a different yeah. way of looking at things. So, I mean, I But hey, let's... That... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, you, you talk to any scouting director you know, uh, or any even, even longtime area scout. And they love telling the stories about the, you know, the, especially the area scouts, you know, the 35th rounder they got who made it, um, you know, and the things, the guys that they hit on who became stars. But they love telling the stories on the guys that they just missed in both directions. Uh, you know, it's, that's part of the deal. You need to have a short memory. And uh, most of those guys do have a short memory because you can't worry about the, the guys you make now. If you keep missing first round picks, you're going to be out of a job. But, you know, <laughs> there's a results-based industry with the understanding that it, you know, <laughs> with the understanding that you're going to miss a lot of the time. And, and those, those are great stories. Well, on that note, let's jump into the Mariners farm system and a bunch of guys, 80 guys that won't miss. Let's jump into that. Uh, <laughs> when you take a look at Seattle uh, and, and the farm system that they've kind of you know, reclamated here in the last couple of years, 
what sticks out? What, what are your personal thoughts uh, on the organization's farm? Well, you know, I mean, a lot of it was just that uh, the, the dedication to rebuilding it rather than trading from it. Um, you know, I think when Jerry Depoto and company sort of flipped that switch, uh, they did it with, with intention and, and seriousness, and they were able to do it across pretty much every avenue of acquiring talent that you, you can. Uh, you know, having a bad team allowed for higher draft picks, but even when they didn't draft super high, they, I think they've drafted smartly, especially up top. Uh, they, you know, more active in the international market and they made some, you know, some really good trades. Uh, and I think the combination of that is why, you know, if you look at, you know, even like their top 10, uh, it's one deeper than it so much deeper than it used to be and overall when compared to other teams is you know got an up arrow next to it and it's why we now look at the mariners as having one of the the better overall farm systems so i think it's that they committed to rebuilding the system and then used every tool in their in in, in their toolkit to to do that how about specifically like you like you were mentioning at the top uh any general thoughts on uh, Kelnick, Julio, and Gilbert, because that's that's three guys. And you know what? Let's throw Evan White in there. That's four guys that, by my estimation, uh, in tracking this, all four of those guys went up, you know, 40, 50, 60 spots in the rankings over the 2019 season. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I could take one, each one individually, I guess. I mean, I love Kelnick coming out of the draft. Uh, I don't know what they're doing in Wisconsin, but they just teach guys to hit. Uh, you can tell me that Gavin Lux. I mean, it's it's kind of weird. Um, but he can really, really hit. He's a freaking physical specimen. Um, and he's got a little chip on his shoulder, like in a really good way. Um, he wants to be really, really good. And he wants to be better than everyone else. And I think that's going to enable him to maximize what are some really good overall tools. I mean, we're talking 60 hit and 60 run with above average power. Um, I, I think he's going to be a, you know, a, like a 2020 kind of guy. Um, Julio Rodriguez is just the complete package and, and, you know, starting, not starting with his personality, uh, which is, you know, a thousand Watts. I mean, he's got superstar written all over him because of that. And then you <laughs> add his, his tools, how, you know, how dedicated he is uh, to the craft, uh, to learning English, uh, so he can communicate with his teammates. I think he's the kind of guy who's going to make everyone around him better because he's such a high energy, um, and not in a okay, you know, young dude, tone it down. Like he already has an innate ability to understand, you know, the room. You know, so when he's super young, he'll you know keep his head down, kind of thing, and do his thing. While also showing his 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 character and personality, he just loves to play. Uh, even you know, seeing him in the fall league after a long season, um, you know, even though he missed time with the the uh, the hairline fracture, he was playing every game as if it was Game Seven of the World Series with a smile on his face. I mean, he just loves to play the game, and he's really really freaking good at it. Uh, you know, Gilbert, I think, has frontline starter. I'm going to try to be a little brief here. And Evan White is, 
you know, it's not often when you have a first baseman who gets mentions as the best defensive player in all of baseball, not just at his position, period. And he can really, really hit. I think he's the power is going to keep coming. Um, so it's uh, it's pretty impressive. And we didn't even get to George Kirby and, and Marte. So that just shows you how deep the system is. I got I got one more question on Kelnick. Uh, it, it seems like the industry as a whole has it as Adele, Robert, and Kelnick. One of Kelnick or Carlson, um, uh, Waters, basically those five. Uh, what do you think separates Robert and Adele from you know Kelnick? Is is Kelnick a tier below those two? What are your thoughts? I think you know we may look back. And they may be very comparable in terms of what their performance is. I think when you're looking at just the raw tools, I think Adele and Robert are just a shade ahead, whether it's, you know, Adele's power, Robert's speed, whatever it is. And I'm not even looking at their, their, their grades. So I, you know, if I have that slightly wrong, I just think the, the, the total package of raw tools for those guys are a tiny bit better. Uh, Adele is just a, monster of a man too and you know robert i think is a, is a little bit bigger maybe that's the one thing that puts uh kelnick a a quarter step behind you know he's not the biggest you know from a size wise i mean physicality wise he's ridiculous um but uh maybe you know so that puts him maybe a quarter step behind um i'm sure if if jared were listening to this he would um respectfully disagree uh, but uh, <laughs> that's what makes players like him want to be, you know, want to be all-star caliber players. You know, like I said, it's, you know, you're splitting hairs a little bit just in terms of where these guys rank. Um, but I think, you know, it, 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 if I had to put my finger on one thing, it's, it's the, it's the raw tools for, for Adele and Robert are, are a, a little tiny bit um, ahead. I think that's fair. Um, going back to something that you had mentioned a couple minutes ago, uh, you said the Mariners' farm system as a whole is deeper uh, as a whole than it has been over the past several years. Is there a guy, maybe outside of the top eight or ten, you know, maybe Noel V. Marte is the is, is the, the the end point, I guess. Is there a guy after Marte that you're fond of that? maybe the industry isn't as isn't as loud on right now well it's funny because you know the back end of the list and all these get you know it 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 thins out there's some like really interesting relievers that i like but they're not the guys that you're talking about like sam delaplane is going to be a really good big league reliever um and anyone who saw that slider in in the arizona fall league knows he's going to be a big league reliever but that's not the guy i want to pick let me think can i pick two Absolutely, oh, my guess. We would love. We would love right. that. So the first and for what it's it, worth, yes, really for what it's worth, you're talking to the biggest Joey Gerber fan club, in you know on earth. So I respect relievers. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Um, so up top, I'll start with Jake Fraley because I think that's going to be one of those that people look back and realize that they got a really good deal. And and I like Mike Zanino. He's going to be a fine big league catcher for a long time. Good dude, but. Fraley is one of these guys that I think they they kind of stole because he'd been hurt. And he's a little bit old, quote-unquote older. Um, I mean, he'll turn 25 uh, in about a month. 
but man, he's got some tools and he was really figuring it out. Um, if you told me that he's going to end up being like an everyday center fielder in the big leagues for 10, you know, for 10 years or for a long time, I could believe it. I, like his, his, he's really exciting to me because his development got stunted because of the injuries. And I think the, the Mariners did a really nice job of identifying him and getting him probably they bought low on him because of the injuries. If I'm going to go down a little bit lower, I'm going to pick a guy who is from my area in the draft. Jim Cowles and I kind of split the country in half. Uh, and that's Austin Shenton, uh, who, you know, they got from Florida International and another guy who like he had a huge Cape Cod league then he struggled as a junior. He had some some family stuff at, you know, at home that I'm sure was distracting him. Then he got hot at the end and they got him in, you know, the, the Mariners got him in the fifth round. I think this guy's really going to hit. You know, you mentioned Kyle Seeger. Um, you know, I could see him being that kind of slightly under the radar uh guy now Seeger was maybe a little bit more known and because it was you know maybe because it was North Carolina and not um not Florida International and, and Shenton had you know transferred from a junior college uh I, I think he's really gonna hit and I think he's gonna be fine at third um he may move around play some outfield corners he'll play wherever I think his bat is gonna get him into the lineup and I he almost reminds me of kind of a typical St. Louis Cardinals college bat taken in the mid late rounds. I love that. About and end up being much better big leaguers than anyone expected. So I would, you know, once we start playing baseball again and all that stuff, he's a guy that I, I'm keeping my eye on because I have a feeling that he is going to hit. And Scout told me a long time ago when I first started doing this, and it's just true, like, there are always exceptions, but like if guys hit, they find their ways into a big league lineup. And I think he's going to be one of those guys, even if he never you know wins a gold glove at third. Does he have the type of tools that could could crack him into the top uh, the top one hundred prospects list at any point? He he kind of has that Ryan Mountcastle uh, profile. Interesting. Um, yeah, you know what? I he needs. I think he needs to have a little track record. You know, if this were, if this were a normal, you know, year, and he went out and had a big first full season, now, you know, I think they would have sent him straight to, to the California League, mm-hmm. you know, to start. Um, I, I, you know, I think if he had been a guy who like really, really hit, and California League is tough, um, to to truly evaluate because it's such a good hitters league, but then went to say he got to double a and his first full season hit there. I could see him maybe sneaking on, um, uh, you know, Mountcastle hit pretty much everywhere. So he would have to do that. And you know, Mountcastle was younger coming out of high school hit right away. Uh, so maybe it might take Shenton a little bit longer, but he just strikes me as the kind of guy that even if he wasn't a top 100 guy, you'd look back on and be like, huh, Maybe he should have been just because of the offensive uh, offensive profile and upside. Yeah. Well, that's fair. Um, so we've talked about a lot of prospects, and the Mariners have a rich history of, uh, of prospects, if you will. And uh, the fan base out here is, 
is starved for a winner. Uh, it's you know everyone knows it's been a long time since this team has seen the playoffs and uh, they've gone through a lot of prospects that haven't worked out. They've gone through the Nick Franklins. They've gone through the the Ackleys, the Monteros, the Smokes, Alex Jackson, DJ Peterson. I mean the list goes on and on and on. So just as a talent ev- evaluator and someone that is is well connected in the industry, tell tell the Seattle fans why this crop of players is any different than what they've had in the past or or I guess a better way of phrasing this is why should they believe in this in this pool of talent what choice do you have I mean <laughs> I think you know, <laughs> that's fair that's a good point it's you know it's I'm not saying that you drink the Kool-Aid you know and anybody in what I do or even on the uh, the scouting or player development side you know having good prospects is 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 great but until they get to the big leagues and win games or you sort of very uh, mindfully use them as trade pieces for that last bit, you know, it doesn't matter. I remember talking to the Kansas City Royals back in like 2011 or whatever when they had – everyone thought they had the best farm system in baseball. Um, and even then they said, well, it doesn't – it's nice that people think that, but it doesn't matter until we win. And then they did. So, you know, some of it can't be done until it's retrospective, but I think it goes back to what we were talking about, even with, you know, with amateur scouts is that it, how inexact the science it is. And it's comes and goes. Sometimes you're right. And sometimes you're wrong. And yes, they missed on some of those players and, you know, some of them, you had not, you, you know, you look back, everyone thought Dustin Ackley was the best college bat in that draft class. Everyone thought Danny Holson was the best arm, you know? So, why Dustin Ackley didn't become a superstar is, is one of those head scratchers. Danny Hulton, you can't predict injuries. You know, um, Alex Jackson was the best high school bat. You know, they thought they were being smart by moving him to the outfield so the bat would carry him. Like, so much is unknown about what's going to happen once a guy starts going through the grind and having to figure it out that you just don't know. And and meanwhile, like yeah, Justin Smoke, by the way, turned turned into like a good big leaguer. It just took longer, you know. So <laughs> I, I it's just and I'm not like I'm not like a Mariners front office apologist in any way, shape, or form. I just think that what happens, and I think that they've you know they've tweaked who it is that you know that making decisions, and they they work more as a collaborative now. I think they've gotten better in combining the scouting with the with the data analysis and. I think all of that has pointed to them making better choices in who they were bringing into their system. It's, it, it sounds simple. It's not, you know, but it, it, right now they, they, I think they're making some, some very good choices. I think that's uh, I think that's a good way of approaching things. All you can kind of do is there is light at the end of the tunnel and uh, believe it or not, uh, there's not really any other, it's black or white. Uh, you guys, over at MLB.com have been, you've started doing a really fun series about the most hyped organizational prospect at at certain positions. You just rolled out shortstop the other day and whether or not those shortstop prospects could become the most valuable player at their position in their organization's history. Uh, So I wanted to pose that question to you and kind of talk about some of the Mariners prospects that might have a chance to uh, become you know, the top of the mountain at their position. Now, that's going to be pretty damn tough with Kellenic <laughs> unseating Ken Griffey Jr. It's just, 
I mean, I'd put everything I own up against that argument. <laughs> I'm sorry, who? Uh, uh, Ken who? Ken yeah. who? I, I don't Just know if he's a senior or junior. I remember his dad. Did, I don't, did the kid amount to anything? Uh, I think he was around for a couple of years. Kind of a flash in the pan. Uh, and then Julio is probably not going to become Ichiro, and they're polar opposite profiles anyways. But the one guy I did want to point out would be uh, Evan White at first base. Seattle doesn't have a rich history of first baseman. Alvin Davis is kind of the cream of the crop with 22 war over a number of years. Uh, from what you've seen, do you think Evan White is the type of player that could maybe surpass that someday? Well, it's funny. We just spent all this time talking about Mariners prospects who missed, so now you give me a little gun shy. But uh, <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think he does have the potential to be – a better to have a better career than Alvin Davis, and it's funny because when we did the first baseman, we, you know, uh, typically what we've done, we do those stories, and then on our podcast, we kind of talk about some of those guys who have the chance to supplant them. And Alvin Davis is one of those guys that if you're not from the area, you're not a Mariners, and like he, he was sneaky good. You know, you mentioned the war. Absolutely, That's, he was a he was a really solid player. So if Evan White at the end of his career looks and you're looking back and he didn't quite become uh, you know, he didn't quite become Al- Alvin Davis. That doesn't mean that he was a, a failure as a prospect. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, it's people forget, like, yes, we talk about Evan White and we ranked him highly and things like that. And there is a hope that he can be a better all around player than Alvin Davis when all said and done. But he could come close and, you know, you decide like, he ends up with 20 war or whatever whatever sort of benchmark you want to use. And you're like, well, he didn't quite get there. That doesn't mean that he, he didn't live up to his, you know, his potential. I think it means that uh, he just was really good and, and, that, and, that, and then that's fine. You know, it's um, – I always feel bad when we were doing that first bit. I feel bad for John Olerud, who I know had, you know, a lot of years in Toronto. But he was pretty good as a Mariner too, just not there for that long. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Very good. Second best first uh, baseman in, well, in Mariners and, history. Well, and I think I, you know, I think I think of Olerud mm-hmm. uh, when I think of Evan White, um, because I think there are some similarities uh, in the offensive profile. I think White's a little more athletic, but uh, or a lot more athletic because you know Evan White could go play the outfield. By the way, like he could play center and he'd be fine. You would never do that because he's so good at first, but he could. Would he be as good as Griffey? Do we think I, he? You, you keep bringing up this Griffey guy. I, um, <laughs> yes, yeah, that's right. Evan White is better than uh, Jared Kelnick and Julio Rodriguez combined. Um, Book but it. In, in, in all seriousness, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think, yeah, I think there is a good chance that Evan White could be uh, could be better than Alvin Davis when all is said and done. That's, to to shorten up, what ended up being a very long winded answer. You know, you said something in there that I think is really important to reiterate. Just because a player hits a top 100 list does not mean that they are destined to become a superstar. Some of these players uh, are just destined to be good big league regulars and accumulate, you know, eight war over the course of, you know, eight to ten seasons. And that's okay. Um, And I think that's lost in the narrative a lot of times. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah, I mean, baseball's Um, hard. Baseball's hard. Like It is get how difficult it is to get to the big leagues 
and be good for any length of time. So just because a guy was ranked high and let's say he goes and has a, a six-year career, you know, look, look at Justin Smoke. Like, I think we're going to look back and be like, you know what? The Mariners weren't wrong. Like, it just took him a while. He's, you know, he's he had some good years. It's just, was he as good as everyone thought he might be? No, but man, it's a hard game. It is, and I think we're a year or two away from Jesus Montero having the exact same conversation around him. Maybe not. Definitely not. Right. But maybe not. <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, I want to. I want to. I just keep thinking of ice cream uh, sandwiches when you bring up. Heather. Yeah. Look out! Look out! Dodge left. Um, I want to talk a little bit about player development as a whole uh, from the industry side. How have you seen things change over the last five to ten years in terms of just how predictive has has talent become? It's obviously still in, in exact science and people are going to miss more times than they're going to hit. But have you seen a shift in uh, scouting and just how scouts go about things and their success rates? Well, I mean, without having done, you know, any real data dive in terms of percentage of guys who make it to the big leagues or whatever. I, one of the things as we've talked about is we, how do you, what do you define success from a player development standpoint, um, is it getting a guy to the big leagues? Is it getting him there and he's ready to contribute? Nowadays, most player development staffs, that's their, you know, I think how they look at it. They want a guy when he gets called up to be ready so he can stay. Now, it doesn't mean he's going to stay. And that doesn't always happen. I always like pointing to Mike Trout, who in his first time up in the big leagues was not good. Uh, people like to forget that. Um, it didn't take anything away from his his stock as a prospect or a future star. And, and then he figured it out, obviously. But so I think there have been a couple of things that have helped, if not become more predictive, but help player development staffs put players in the best position to succeed. And that is really all they can do. You know, they can't go out and play the game. And there's so many variables that come into players' injuries and recognizing breaking pitches, you know, command, you, know, the, you can only do so much. But the combination of data and so that there's so much more data and um, the strength and conditioning and the psychological side of things. And I think starting on the scouting side, you know, the the homework that's done by scouts to get a sense of the makeup of a player helps again, not 100 percent, but helps uh, being able to individuate strength and conditioning programs. So you're not just taking players and saying you all do the same thing, you know, based on their, now you can do it based on their position, based on their body type, based on where their strengths and weaknesses lie. Uh, I think all that helps. And then, you know, the teams that do the best are the ones who use the, the huge uptick in, in data uh, analysis combined with evaluate regular old school, quote unquote, old school evaluation and scouting and, and, and development, uh, you know, reps in the cage and things like that are the ones that do it right. And I think that is what has helped uh, what seems to be an uptick of young players getting to the big leagues. I, and I think, again, this is completely anecdotal. I think I, it feels like they're getting to the big leagues faster. Not all of them. You know, there are the Kyle Lewis's and the, and the Jake Fraley's who, you know, have injuries and things like that, uh, or guys who just 
took a little longer to figure it out. Um, but you're seeing a lot of younger guys get to the big leagues, I think, faster because the learning curve has been shortened because of some of those those things that I mentioned. You, you know, speaking of that learning curve uh, and injuries, this this 2020 season could turn into a bit of a situation where it's not an injury, but every minor leaguer out there might end up having to forcibly take off 17 months of, of live ball because there might not be a minor league season. And that's purely speculative. Um, from your point of view, how much would a lost season, uh, an entirely lost season for minor leaguers impact their player development? And is that something that you think could have long-term ramifications on you know, the quality of big league ball or um, share your thoughts there? I, th I think the only thing that keeps it from having a long-term impact is that everyone is in exactly the same place, right? So it's not one player blew out his knee or needs Tommy John surgery and he's got to press pause on everything. Everybody is doing that. Now, I think all teams are trying to do whatever they can to help players uh, maintain strength and conditioning. This is, you know, without any reps, you know, so I think it's the, the lack of going out and playing obviously is going to have an impact, but everyone is in exactly the same boat and everyone is going to disembark from the boat at the same time. There are going to be some players who are more ready for it uh, because they got after it as best as they could. Maybe it was because they had a better setup in their house. Stroke of luck. Um, maybe... Uh, you know, the mental toughness of some is better than others. So there are guys who just, listen, I'm going to do whatever I can to get myself better every day with what I'm given, while other guys might be sitting on their couch playing, you know, PlayStation too much. Um, we'll have to wait and see. But because everybody had to press pause for this prolonged period of time, I think everyone's going to come back the, more or less the same. Does that mean that if, if, you know, whenever baseball returns, is the, is the product going to be not as sharp at first? Probably, but you know, I, I think everyone is going to be on the same curve. So I don't know that it's going to make that much a different of a difference in terms of getting guys back and, and things like that. I think, the guys that it's really going to hurt who are already in the pro game are maybe, you know, let's say you had a guy who had Tommy John surgery and he was just getting back on, you know, to uh, onto a mound and he was sort of on that path to pitching opening day or pitching early May and hasn't been able to pitch. Now he's been able to continue strengthening. Maybe that guy slowed up a little bit, but again, because everyone is in the same boat, I don't know that it's going to make that much of a difference. Sure. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. 
Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Okay, well, let's, uh, let's, let's pop into a little bit of the MLB draft because that's been a hot topic uh, on Twitter and, you know, it potentially being shortened to five rounds, maybe ten. I've, uh, we've seen some reports of there being maybe ten rounds. Uh, you do a ton of research and homework on this thing every year. Uh, where do you stand on it being shortened to, you know, maybe five rounds? That's making my life a lot easier. Uh- <laughs> You know, I don't have, I don't have to, we do, uh, if it's shortened to five rounds, it's a lot easier. Uh, and listen, you know, we do, we do live pick by pick through round 10 every year. And for those who tune into day two, that is, people always think, oh, day one, man, that you're on the air for so long. It's like, that's the easy part. Those are the players where like, we really, really know. There's a handful that we have, maybe we have to scramble. Um, but day two of the draft, very quickly we get to the point where we like players get drafted and we don't know, and we put out a call, and our friends in the scouting industry are amazing to us and send us information. So if you watch day two, we'll we'll readily admit, you know, we don't know that player, but we're going to get information on him. Um, so you know, if if we do five rounds of the draft and we're going to expand our our list to top two hundred. We're not going to see 200 players get drafted. You know, it, uh, it, that's 200 players is like into the top of the seventh round. Um, not that everyone from the top 200 gets drafted because we do that based on talent. We don't talk about signability, things like that. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting. We've been sort of talking. I keep teasing uh, Jim Callis, who keeps saying like, well, if we want, because especially because the draft, we don't know when it's going to be yet, but it's not going to be when it normally is scheduled. You know, I'm guessing end of June, maybe beginning of July, we have some extra time. We could expand our list to 300. But if there's only five rounds of the draft, there's really no point in doing that whatsoever uh, because we're not going to get anywhere close to that many players drafted. It just changes who's going to get drafted and who we have to really try to focus on. Uh MLB, you guys just released a new re-ranked top 150 prospects for 2020. And there's a lot of people that believe this is one of the deeper classes in the last 10 years. How do you personally think it stacks up to some of the better ones like 2015 or 2000, maybe 2013? Uh, what are your thoughts on the crop as a whole? So I will, uh, I will begin by saying that my institutional memory is terrible. Um, <laughs> that's why I started off by saying how old I am. So, um, yes, I think it's deep. Um, I'm interested why you picked 2013 as a strong class, because I'm looking through here. 
and you know, I, it's easy to look through. I believe 2015 was what ret- what he meant. retrospective glasses. Um, 2015 was a very good class. You know what? And I think what makes this class really interesting, I, uh, especially given how we're going to be dealing with kind of new parameters, is that it's a very college heavy up top. You know, you look at our top 150, top six are all college guys. Nine out of the top 10 are college guys. Uh, I think this is a year because of the fewer rounds where having track record because you didn't get to go out and see guys this spring um, is going to be important. So I think you're going to see even more than normal college guys sort of slinking up while the high school guys, especially the high school pitchers, move down, even if based on talent, it, it should be a little different. And that happens every year. I think you're going to see more of that this year. And it, it, it's a, it, is a, it is a strong class with the exception of middle infielders. You mentioned that 2015 draft, and that was what uh, Dansby Swanson, Alex Bregman, Brendan Rodgers right off the top. Mm-hmm. That was a really good class for shortstops. Um, it's really bad. Uh, this year, and uh, or I should say really bad, that's unfair, really, really thin in terms of middle infielders, especially guys who you think have a chance to play shortstop every day. It's a big year. So uh, you said it's it's college heavy, uh, it's college pitching heavy. Col- I mean, is it across the board? It's it's heavy. It's it's string. It's excuse me. It's strong uh, pitchers. It's strong position players. Uh, I mean, across the board for college. So I would say um, that it is across the board. I mean, at the very top, you know, it's four of the top six are hitters, college hitters. So, but overall, it's a really strong college pitching class, especially if you compare to like last year. I think I saw that we had 10 college pitchers in our top 50 last year, and there are 18 this year. And even if you just sort of put them side by side, some of the guys who are at the bottom of that 18 of the top 50 or even beyond, if you put them in last year's class, would be way up on, higher on draft boards. Um, so it's both. Um, there is a drop-off in college bats after the, the top group, um, and that's where the college aren't. But there's a nice chunk of, like, in the first round, comp round, second round college arms who – you know, that's where the track record will, will come into play, where I think some of those probably sneak into the back end of the first round. Normally, they would do that based on their performance over the course of the year. But if a guy pitched for Team USA or on the Cape last summer, those guys are going to probably move up because you have slightly more certainty than some of the high school arms. Do you think that there's going okay. to be an incentive for teams also to lean even more heavily towards those college guys in this draft, given um, – you know, given the importance with maybe five, maybe 10 picks of signability and of, you know, having what limited draft pool access you have uh, be fully available to you, especially since there's not that back end where you can then spread, you know, spread the pool around? Or or do you think that it's going to kind of play out on a case-by-case basis? Right. So uh, there are a couple things at play. There's a big difference between it being a five round draft and a 10 round draft. If it's a 10 round draft, in a lot of ways, it's like they've always done. They'll have their full Mm -hmm. draft pool Mm -hmm. um, to play with. So you could go back to there being more flexibility. Obviously, you won't have the uh, run at guys in the 11th round, high school guys, you know, that 
became popular. So that mm. wouldn't happen. The other thing is one thing that we have no way of knowing is given what's been going on from a financial standpoint with, with baseball, uh, even if it's a full 10 rounds, could owners tell their baseball people, you know what? I know you have the full bonus pool, but you can only spend 50% of that yeah. because, you know, we've not brought in any revenue. Could that happen? I think there's a distinct possibility that could happen. We won't know, um, you know, until guys are signed and we see how the draft uh, rolls out. If the draft is only five rounds, then even more so, I think some of those those college guys uh, will, will, will go. The college seniors, you know, they'll have a choice like they did in the past. But, uh, you know, now anything past – the fifth or 10th round is going to be set at a, a 20 K limit. Yeah. Uh, now some of those college seniors would have been asked to sign for $10,000. You know, what was happening is the good college seniors were understanding that they, you know, they get offered $10,000 to sign in the sixth round. They'd say no, because they'd get 20,000 in the 12th round. Mm -hmm. You know, that's still well under the hundred thousand dollars or whatever. That was the, the pick value for anything beyond the 10th round. So, some of those guys will be fine. Um, some of the college performer types, you know, who might have gone and been given, even if they signed for under slot, but would get 100K in the third round, I'm arbitrarily picking random numbers. Sure. Happen. So I think it gets, it, 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 it's going to push some high school guys to college. Um, yeah, today I, I learned that uh, Kyle Teal, who's a high school catcher from New Jersey, uh, sent a letter removing himself from the draft, strong commitment to University of Virginia, hmm. not like a top, top tier player. We, he just missed our top 150. Mm -hmm. So would he be the kind of guy that someone may have decided that they really liked and took in the third round and gave him second round money? And would that have done it? Maybe. But though, you know, he was on the fence, so he just removed himself. I think there are going to be a bunch of other guys who will just roll the dice and see how it plays out. But there's going to be fewer opportunities, especially in a five-round draft, for teams to overpay to sign a high school kid away from college. You know, I hadn't given any thought to the idea that organizations could still tell their front offices, hey, you, you know, you may have $9 million to spend here, but we're only going to allow you to spend, you know, two or three of it. So, you know, maybe you see some of those college seniors like you were talking about sneak into the first or second, like maybe a Landon Knack or a Brian Van Bell sneaks into, you know, the first, second or third round just because, hey, we know we can get you for 50 grand. Right. I mean, it's it becomes what the college seniors were during the normal 10-round draft. So I think there is the, the distinct possibility. And Knack is a fascinating guy just because, like, he seems really, really good, but he's 23 and – not had a straight path and like, what do you, how do you, how do you do that? And you didn't have that much time to evaluate him this spring. So he, he's a really, really kind of interesting guy. Well, let's talk a little bit further down in, into the draft and specifically some of the players that you are projecting going in the first round. Um, most people that are interested in the draft know the top five. Uh, it seems like there is a clear drop off or, Maybe a clear drop-off isn't the best way of saying it, but it seems like the top five are going to go in some order to the top five teams. Um, maybe outside of those top five, is there a guy that really you're particularly high on? Kind of one of those who's your guy 
type uh, situations in the draft? Sure. Uh, you know, in the top five guys, you know, Spencer Torkelson, Austin Martin, Asa Lacey, Emerson Hancock, Nick Gonzalez, you know, Garrett Mitchell, who's the sixth of the six college guys from a tools standpoint is just as good as anybody else on the list. I mean, he, he has more that the best all around tool package in the entire draft. He also is a type one diabetic, which is the one question mark with, that teams feel that they will need to have answered. But he's really, 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 really good. So there, I, to me, there isn't a drop off talent wise. There's just a trying to get a sense of what to do with that. Um, I think if I were going to pick a guy that I really like uh, a little bit further down, because Zach Veen is now the top high school guy. He's really good. I think I would probably, I would probably pick Robert Hassel, uh, who's number 16 on our list. And again, going back to the fact that I saw him a bunch in the PDP league over the summer, and he was the best hitter in, in the PDP league. I know some scouts who think he is the best pure high school bat. You know, Austin Hendrick has more raw power and, you know, maybe I should pick Austin Hendrick cause he's from my hometown here in Pittsburgh, but, uh, <laughs> can really hit. He's pretty athletic. Um, he throws 92, 93 off the mound. Um, but no, you know, no one wants him to, to pitch. He's a, uh, a right field type. I, he could probably play center cause you know, he, he is pretty, uh, you know, fairly athletic. I just think that he is a guy who is kind of like a slightly more athletic Riley Green, you know, who the Tigers took last mm -hmm. year. And and to be fair to Riley Green, he you know, that was the question mark about Riley Green. And then he showed up last spring and was much more athletic, got his body in better shape. Um, so that, which is why he ended up being a top 10 pick. Robert Hassel in a lot of ways, it was already thought of as Riley Green was thought of as the draft approach last year. So, you know, if you told me that Robert Hassel ends up sneaking up into the top 10, I could believe it. And I, I think he's really going to hit. We, uh, yeah, we have someone on our staff that is the biggest uh, Robert Hassel fan. So she'll be, yes. she'll be thrilled to hear that. Uh, yes. Cape, Cape Racer staff <laughs> managing editor yeah. is, is Kate, cheering, cheering the managing from editor. quarantine. She loves her some some Robert Hassel. Going back on uh, Zach Veen, I was speaking to a scout a couple days ago, and uh, you know everyone keeps throwing around the Cody Bellinger, the Christian Yelich comps, and you know that that's easy to do. They're current, they're sexy names. Uh, he he threw out a Sean Green comp, which I thought was fascinating. He said the way that this kid is built, he's just he's a grinder. He goes about his business, and he's going to do everything the right way. Uh, and I just I thought that was it came out of left field, but I love it. I think that's a I think that's a fun one for Zach Bean. Yeah, and uh, I'm guessing this was a scout who's been at it for a little while. You can usually gauge the age of a scout. Oh yeah, <laughs> back they go. Um, it's like I was talking about um, uh, another. I'll, I'll get to Zach Bean in a second. But there's a, a player on our list, Enrique Bradfield Jr., who's probably you know probably the fastest guy in the draft. But there's questions about his physicality, and the scout I was talking to said that he heard some of the older scouts slap a Mickey Rivers comp. I'm like, wow. Oh, geez. Like 70s. <laughs> and I'm like, I love that. Now, you know, a lot of young fans today would be like, Mickey Rivers, what? Um, Juan Pierre is another one, you know, who's not quite as old school. But so, yeah, I've heard those comps about Zach Veen. He took a huge step forward in terms of uh, the power. Um, he's one of the guys that the short amount of time 
that he was seen this summer may, helped. Um, being in Florida, uh, you know, certainly helped because you can go see him if you're in spring training um, or on your way to University of Florida or whatever it is. So I think that he um, he took a large he took a nice step forward over the summer that put him right in sort of first round territory and then up to being the top high school guy because of everything coming together. He's still projectable, 6'4". I, you know, the Sean Green comp I like. I could, you know, I, I could see it. Um, you know, I've heard Kyle Tucker, you know, not in terms of how he goes about it, but just in terms of the overall tool package. Um, you know, it depends on who you talk to. Well, if, if you're listening, uh, head on over to MLBpipeline.com because you're, you're not going to find a more comprehensive scouting report on a lot of these players. Uh, you got all five tools uh, on a 20 to 80 scale. You got write-ups on the top 150. Uh, MLB Pipeline and, and all the work that Jim and Jonathan are uh, doing on a daily basis is a great resource for those of you who are interested in the draft coming up this July, we would assume it could be in August. Um, but I'll leave you with one final question here, Jonathan. Uh, the sixth pick, a lot of people kind of think that's where the draft will start because like I had mentioned, the top five may go as expected. If you're Jerry DePoto uh, and you've got Zach Veen, like you had mentioned, Garrett Mitchell, uh, maybe Reed Detmers, if, if you've got the sixth pick, who are you selecting, John? Well, uh, I think the first thing I would say is if I'm Jerry DePoto, I let Scott Hunter and Tommy Allison make the pick. But that's just me. Um, <laughs> but, uh, how politically and by correct. The way, and by the way, I, I, I think that's, you know, how they, how they do it. That said, I mean, they, you know, so there are a couple things at play. You know, I think the one thing, you know, we've been talking about Zach Veen, but the Mariners have not taken a high school player in the first round since Alex Jackson. Um, that doesn't mean that you wouldn't do it again. I think he, you know, he kind of fits in that in that ballpark. Um, I don't know what their reports on Garrett Mitchell are. He kind of fits the college bat mold. You know, I know that uh, the Mariners, you know, the last two years they've done really well, not picking as high, but taking Logan Gilbert, who I love, and George Kirby, who throws more strikes than any human being on on the planet. <laughs> um, so. I, I think they could go for one of those those college arms. Uh, you know, Max Meyer really intrigues me stuff-wise. I know he's not that big, um, but I kind of like him. Uh, so, I, you, you know, you're sort of saying that the draft starts there is true. I guess the last few years, like, things have kind of gone according to the way people thought they would. But it wouldn't shock me if, say, let's say the Blue Jays decide to take Zach Veen at five then someone's going to fall to the Mariners, um, sort of how they got Kyle Lewis that year when they didn't think that was going to happen. So uh, I think they'd be happy to take any of the top five college guys, and then they'll have to decide what they they, they want to do. So I'm, I'm kind of not answering your direct question. Um, <laughs> if it were me personally, I probably would take Zach Veen. But, man, Garrett Mitchell has done it. He's gotten better. The questions about him, you know, about a swing in high school have all been answered. Uh, he's really, really good. So as long as you're comfortable with him handling his diabetes, which he's been doing since he was 11 years old, um, that might be the direction I would go in. Well, uh, John, do you have John Troopin? Do you yeah, have any say, final I mean, thoughts? Any last questions? 
Um, no, I, <laughs> I, I think that you, you, you really uh, sort of summed up, you know, this is fairly unprecedented, um, but it, it's going to be exciting in the way that things that are brand new uh, always are particularly exciting. Um, thank you so much, Jonathan, for, for taking the time to, uh, chat with us. We, we really appreciate you sharing your, your expertise and, and, uh, your, your perspective on this. My pleasure guys. And hopefully, uh, you know, next time we can actually talk about baseball. Let's go. That's, that, that is <laughs> the hope. All right. Well, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of They Might Be Mariners. Uh, until then, stay safe and be well. I take my chances on the road.